Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the Word of the living God. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. If you are a man given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not overwork to be rich, because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. This is the word of the living God, and we say, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Living God, we pray now that in the wisdom of your word, we may find instruction for the week ahead. We pray that you would incline our hearts to the worship of proper things. Help us, for we are so frequently tempted by a variety of things in the world around us and in the false idols which so frequently pop up in our hearts. We pray that the glorious gospel of the Son would be clear to our hearts again this evening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening I want us to consider really in three different ways one particular principle. And that is the principle of what we serve What is it that we are living our lives for? What is it that we are serving? Teenagers, young adults, what is it that you are preparing to serve in your life ahead if the living God gives you life and breath? In our passage, which may seem a little strange at first, what does it mean to, quote, put a knife to your throat? The passage, which may seem a little strange at first, really is part of the larger work of wisdom that we have in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs both reveals to us what wise living looks like, but Proverbs really is a picture of who Jesus Christ is. He is the wisdom of God. When we see hard words in Proverbs, we can think of our Savior perfectly living according to the wisdom of God. Tonight, I want us to see three simple things about that which we may serve in this life. The first thing is this. We need to consider the influence of material things. The influence of material things. Look at the first couple of verses, verses 1 through 3. The passage begins this way. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, a king, a prince, someone of importance... Consider carefully what is before you. Now, oftentimes in the book of Proverbs, there are verses that are standalone kind of verses. Sometimes those verses are verses that you see where one particular sentence is given, and then the next verse describes in greater detail the principle of the first. Occasionally in the book of Proverbs, you will see sections that work together. For instance, the last chapter, Proverbs 31, beginning round about verse 10, you see a section on the virtuous or the godly woman or godly wife. Here in Proverbs 23, 
you do have a series of verses which could stand alone, but they all are related to riches, to material things. Chapter 23 begins this way, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. Now this word ruler could be a leader, a king, a prince, a person of influence, a person of wealth, power. But notice the second part. Consider carefully what's before you. Now, if you sit down with a king or a ruler or a person of influence, the food in front of you, that which is on the table will probably be good. It's usually rare that you would sit down with a person of great influence and have a rather bad meal. But the writer of Proverbs is asking us to consider carefully what is before us. But then notice the next verse. Put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. We are considering, firstly, the influence of material things. How often would it be common for us to sit down with a person of influence, of wealth, of power, to want to have some of that power and wealth rub off on us, be shared with us. We crave, perhaps, in some of aspects of our lives of having such encounters where we are seated with those of influence and wealth and power and riches. But the Proverbs tell us to do something rather strange. In these moments, put a knife to your throat. Now, what does this mean, boys and girls? Well, it doesn't mean that you actually pick up your knife off the table and put it next to your throat. This is a kind of literature, we might call it exaggeration or hyperbole, where something really exaggerated is used to teach us a principle. Think about what you do when you sit down to a nice meal. You usually pick up a fork and eat. Here, we're asked to pick up a knife. The next phrase gives us a little bit of an explanation. Put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. The focus then in putting a knife to your throat is not literal, but rather it's that when in the situation, you should take steps not to be given over to your sinful appetites. Another way of thinking about this might be to think of it in this way. This passage, verse 2, is telling us that when you're seated at the table of a rich, influential, wealthy, powerful individual, you're in danger. You're in danger. Now, Jesus would speak this way. He doesn't say, put a knife to your throat, but he does speak in a very similar way. Turn over to the book of Matthew for just a moment. Some of you may already know exactly where we're going. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 29 and 30, listen to what Jesus, the one who died for sinners, the merciful one who cried, as it were, over sinners like Jerusalem that wouldn't repent. Listen to what he says in his great Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast in hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. 
Now, similarly, Jesus doesn't actually want us to take weapons and cut off parts of our body. He's using exaggerated language, hyperbole. He's saying, go to whatever lengths possible you need to go to to avoid sin. The writer of Proverbs is doing the same thing. Listen, when you're seated in the face of temptation, the power and influence and riches of this life, put a knife to your throat. Particularly if you're given over to sinful appetites. What are you going to do at a meal if the whole time you're holding a knife to your throat? You're not going to give in to certain appetites. You're going to consider yourself full earlier. There's an influence of riches and material things which the wise writer of Proverbs is calling us to avoid. Brothers and sisters, it's at this juncture that we need to say this watchfulness over our lives and over the temptations that we face as Christians is not opposed to gospel grace. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. You don't save yourself. You don't add a single work to what Christ has done. But we're called to live as Christians lives of watchfulness. We're to be on guard against sin. And one of the things that we need to be watchful for is the influence of material things. Now notice in verse 3, The scripture says, do not desire his delicacies, the delicacies of the ruler, the rich ruler, the one of influence and power that you're seated with. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. This could be taken in at least two ways. Perhaps the foods are deceptive in this way, because of the ruler's evil intent. Could very well be that what's in view here is a kind of uh, manipulation You're in danger because of the ruler's evil intent. He he wants to do something to you. He wants to draw you into something. In fact, look at the next two verses, verses 6 and 7. Do not eat the bread of a miser nor his delicacies, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. This idea of someone putting before you wonderful delicacies, They're not with you, they're against you. So maybe in verse 3, when we see this word deceptive food, the danger is the heart of the ruler with whom you eat. Or secondly, maybe the danger is because those delicacies, those rich material things, draw you into sin. That's the danger. John Gill in his commentary on this passage says this, quote, Through the pleasant and agreeable taste of them, They lead on to luxury and excess before a man is aware, and so deceive him. They promise him a great deal of pleasure, but being too much indulged, they produce sickness and nauseousness. Now, brothers and sisters, the Word of God is not saying that we can't have a nice meal. The Word of God is not saying that we we can't enjoy good gifts of God and delicacies of food, prepared well. I hope you see that the wisdom writer is painting a picture here. And it all begins with that phrase, when you sit down to eat with a ruler. When you are living your life in the world and you're among people of riches and influence and power, you need to consider this a danger. 
Because we are so easily tempted by the material things of this world, the riches of this world. The first thing that we're to do, living lives of wisdom, is to consider the influence of material things. I say it that way on purpose. Because if I were to say to you, beware the influence of richness, or beware of pursuing riches, it's far easier, particularly if you don't have much money in the bank, to say, well, that's not my problem. I don't struggle with riches. But brother and sister, the idea is not the amount of money. The idea is the fact that our hearts in their sinful state are drawn to serve material things. We long in our appetites, as verse 2 says, for influence, for power, for riches, for the things that other people have. What's the 10th commandment? Do not covet. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what's before you. And put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Brothers and sisters, the follower of Christ needs to consider carefully the influence that material things have upon our hearts. But secondly, tonight, I think we see not only the influence of material things, but the taskmaster of material things. Look at verse 4. Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Notice that the theme of material things, riches, delicacies of this world continue. But here, we're given a new set of circumstances. We're no longer sitting with a person of power and influence. Now, the wisdom writer is saying, don't overwork with the goal of material things. With the goal of riches. A question, perhaps, already for us to think about is, how many endeavors do we take on in our lives because we are discontent with God's current provision for us? How many endeavors do we take on because we're discontent with what God has already given to us? How many people, how many Christians are overworking themselves because they're not serving God, they're serving the desire to be wealthy, to be rich. Listen, it's important for us to say that the wisdom writer is not saying that the sinfulness is the amount of money in the bank. In God's providence, some people will have more money than others. The condemnation here is not actually the dollar bills in the bank. It's what our hearts do with those things. Do you live a life currently where you or your family are overworking for the goal of stuff? Now notice the second part. It says, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Now, depending on what English translation you have, this could be translated in one of two different ways. So, for instance, in the New King James Version and in the ESV, the, the, the context here is, in other words, because you have wisdom, don't do this unwise thing. The, the English Standard Version renders it this way. Be discerning enough to desist. So don't overwork to be rich. Be discerning enough to stop. The New King James, 
Do not overwork to be rich. Because of the understanding you have, cease. So the idea would be, don't overwork to be rich. Use wisdom and stop this folly. But others of you may have a different translation. For for instance, the King James Version says, cease from thine own wisdom. And there it would mean, in other words, don't keep living on your own wisdom. Earthly wisdom, for instance, which tells you to pursue riches. You see, in either case, the meaning of this proverb is the same. It's either saying, use wisdom and stop overworking for riches. Or it's saying, don't rely on your own wisdom, which would tell you to work hard to get rich. In either case, what's the common denominator? Our work shouldn't be with the goal of getting rich, and certainly we shouldn't overwork for that goal. How many extra jobs do people take on so that they can have riches, all the while abdicating their familial responsibilities? How many enter into bad decisions out of a desire for more stuff? How many ruin physical or spiritual health for the idol of riches? Perhaps a little closer to home. How many confuse the gospel with the call to be rich? Let me give you just two examples. Many of you have heard of the so-called prosperity gospel. I don't need to linger here, but the prosperity gospel is the idea that if you have enough faith in God, you will be healthy and you will be rich. And if you're not healthy and you're not rich, then somehow you don't have enough faith. And this prosperity gospel, shipped out by our tele-evangelists in this country, many of whom are heretics, is making its way all across the globe. Many of you have been all over the world. I have as well. And I've seen situations where parts of the world, sermons which we're shipping out, have convinced whole countries of people professing the name of Christ with the idea that to have faith means you believe God will make you prosperous. That's a false gospel. It's confusing the gospel with earthly things. Perhaps a more subtle example. There is a brand of end times thinking which goes like this. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Christ has done everything that we need to do to be saved. He has now called us to build the kingdom. And in building the kingdom, every single thing that we do is a gospel thing. So we should have really good meals and we should sew really well and we should make really good pies and husband and wife should make a whole lot of money because we're building the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we don't build the kingdom. Christ builds the kingdom. He is the second Adam. So even in that subtle example, there can be just sort of a slight influence where we confuse what Christ has done on the cross and what he's called us to with our task to get stuff, even if our goal there is to sort of do it for the glory of God. You see, the Proverbs writer will tell us that there is an influence that material things can have over sinful hearts, and we need to beware. We need to, as the proverb writer says, put a knife to our throat. Remember, we're in danger. We're not careful. 
Our souls are in danger of loving what the ruler seems to offer at this meal of delicacies. But secondly, material things can become a hard taskmaster. Work harder. Make more. Because riches are God. But there's a third thing I think that we can see, and that is the heart idol of material things. The heart idol. Now, when we spell idol, we're spelling it I-D-O-L, meaning the heart God with a little g that we make sometimes. All throughout the Bible, God's people are told not to make false gods, not to make idols. You know, one of the idols in our day that can be so tempting is stuff material things, or influence, or power. Notice what the writer says in verse 5. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? Now that may seem like a strange question. But notice what follows. Helps to explain it. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away. (laughs) like an eagle toward heaven. If I said to you, hey, what are you fixing your eyes on? Nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, it's something that you see that's there, that you can touch, that you can hold on to. It would be strange for you to think I'm looking at something that's not really there. But in some sense, the Proverbs writer is saying to us, that's what you do when you make an idol out of riches. You're staring at something. You're setting your eyes on something which will fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Setting your eyes on something here is a picture of heart-level greed. And notice the reason for the prohibition. Riches, material things can't be our God because they do not last. They are not ultimate Matthew Poole says, These things are like those things, quote, which hath no solid or settled being, which is ours to have, but not to hold, which is always upon the wing and oft times gone in the twinkling of an eye, so that the owner is frequently at a loss and cannot tell whether he hath his estate or whether he has lost it. You see, the third thing that we see tonight about material things is that they so frequently become idols for us. If material things can deceive us, if they can be cruel taskmasters, if they can be objects of idolatry, then what is the answer? Well, ultimately, the answer is Christ. You see, He is true, He doesn't deceive like those deceptive delicacies. His burden is light. He is not a cruel taskmaster. And He actually is worthy of the worship of our hearts. And as one writer has said before, the more that you love Christ, the affection that you have for Him will slowly start to expel the love you have for false gods. Listen, the more that you see the glory of Christ the more that you understand the actual treasure that he is, you're like that man in Matthew's Gospel who finds a treasure hidden in a field and goes and sells all that he has that he may have Christ 
You want to expel the idol of riches in your heart. Look to Christ. If you want to know whether the God that you are worshiping in your heart is deceptive or cruel, look to Christ. And when you see idols in your heart that cause you to say to yourself, I've been serving something that will not last, repent and look to Christ. He is the personification of wisdom. Now before we finish tonight, brothers and sisters, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and just ask a few diagnostic questions. For undoubtedly, many of us think, well, I don't have two nickels to rub together this week. I'm in no danger of loving riches. Which is why we're broadening out the principle of this passage. It's material things in general that we don't have that become the problem. It's the power that we don't have. It's the influence that we don't have that become the problem. So a couple of diagnostic questions for you and for me based on this passage. The first is this. Ask yourself, do I crave association with well-to-do people because of riches, power, or influence? Listen, some of us will have jobs where we actually have power. Some of us will have jobs where at the end of the work week, at the end of the pay period, we actually have riches in the bank. Some of us will be called to be among people of influence. But do we crave it with discontent? That's the question. Notice what the writer says in verse 2. Put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. If you long for it, if you want it, if you crave it, whatever it is, ask yourself, why? You see, you may be in a position of power and influence. You may be rich. But your heart may not be set on that at all. Your appetite is fed with Christ. But if you find yourself craving these kinds of things, that would signal to you that something is amiss. Do I crave, do you crave association with well-to-do people because of riches or power? There are subtle ways that this happens in our world and more overt ways. A second diagnostic question, and this relates to verse 4. Am I truly serving the Lord in my labors? Or is my work or the product of my work an idol? Am I serving the Lord in my labors? Or is my work or the fruit of my work an idol? Related to that, here's a third diagnostic question to consider prayerfully this week. Why am I working? Why am I working? Proverbs 23.4 says, Do not overwork to be rich. Why do you work? There are a lot of biblical and godly answers. I work because we're designed to work, even before the fall. I work because it glorifies God. I work because the fourth commandment tells me to work six days and rest the seventh. I work because I want to bring glory to my God. 
four. I work because I need the things of this world. I work because I want the influence people of power. Why do you work? A fourth diagnostic question. What guards are in place in your life to keep you from sinful appetites? In very bold language, the writer says, put a knife to your throat. What knives do you employ? And here's what we mean. Christ has done everything necessary to save you. He's given his life as a ransom for you. He's earned a perfect righteousness in his life. He paid the cost for your sins. He lavishes grace upon you and has made you his own. The Spirit of God has changed your heart. You've trusted in Christ. You've been adopted. You've become an heir of God. But all throughout the New Testament even, we're called to do what? To be on guard against sin. 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us that with every temptation, God will provide a way out. But in bold language, Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. The, the writer of Proverbs, in concert with our Lord, says, if you have appetites leading you to sin, put a knife to your throat. Remind yourself, through whatever means possible, that sinful appetites are dangerous to you. So this might warrant prayerfully asking the Lord if you've not before, Lord, what are my sinful appetites? What am I drawn to? Listen, you could lay out the sins of this world. You could put the Ten Commandments out on the table. And in one sense, we've broken them all. But in another sense, some of us have proclivities. We have appetites towards certain sins. Some of you have no problem honoring authority, but lust for people to whom you are not married is the greatest struggle of your life. Others of you, you don't have a problem with lust. Adultery is the farthest thing from your mind, but you regularly find yourself discontent. It doesn't take hardly anything at all. You walk to church and among Christ's people, someone just shares with you a blessing and already you're covetous. Oh, why does that always happen to everybody else? What appetites do you have? Know those appetites and then ask yourself, what guards are in place for me? What knife, as it were, do I need to employ? What does that look like? Well, I would submit to you and wisdom, if your problem is lust, the regular intake of TV shows and movies with lustful scenes will not help you. If discontent is something that you regularly have an appetite for, confessing that to the Lord and then seeking prayerfully to say, when I hear someone talk about a blessing, I want the Lord to help me to rejoice in that. I want to be on guard against my own discontent. Listen, tomorrow morning when I walk into church and there's fellowship time and someone tells me that this week they got a few extra dollars and it met their need, I want to be able to rejoice with them and not think about me. What guards are in place to keep you from sinful appetites? Well, a fifth diagnostic question, believer. Do I realize, do you realize 
that Christ has saved me from my appetites and the need for the things of this world. Listen, if the gospel is not true, then the writers of Scripture would agree with pagan philosophers. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Cling to every last thing you can cling to in this life because it's over when you die. But if the gospel is true, and it is, then the things of this world, to include the sinful appetites of our hearts that we latch on to, the things of this world, they're nothing. Christ has saved you from your sins from the sinful appetites that you have and the need for the sinful love of things in this world. When the gospel gets a grip of your soul, increasingly you find yourself able to let go of the things of this world. I don't mean that you you don't need food or water or shelter anymore. But you certainly don't need when you sit down with a puny ruler in this world to look at all his table and say, oh, I wish I had. You serve the sovereign king of the universe. What delicacies does this person of influence, perhaps a person who hates the living God, what delicacies, pray tell, can he give you? You serve the king of kings and lord of lords. So every day you tell yourself, when you find yourself longing for the material things of this world, tempted to overwork so you can have more, tempted to give in to these cravings and appetites for sinful things. Tell yourself every morning, living God, this is what you've done for me. You've sent your son, as Paul has said in Galatians 2.20, he came, he lived a perfect life, he gave himself up for me because he loved me. I'm united to him. I am an heir with him. I will reign with him. I am a child of the living God, all by His mercy and grace. Help me to remember who I am today so that when I have amnesiac moments and I'm looking and saying, oh, this pagan ruler, I really wish I had what he had. Oh, this sinful person, I wish I could run headlong into the sins like he does or she does. You say, no, 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 no. You put a knife to my throat. I need to be on guard right now because I am tempted to forget who I really am. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. Put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies for they are deceptive food. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Why would we stare at things that fly away like eagles when we literally rest under the great eagle's wing of our Savior? Let's pray. Living God, help us to be on guard. We all have appetites, remaining sin that dwells within us. The pull of material things, of wealth, of power, of influence, it's there in all of our lives. Help us this week, O Lord, for your glory to remember who we are in Christ. And in so doing, be prepared better this week than the week before in our battle with sin. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.